Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of November 21, 2019. Catch Sound Prince on ACB Radio Mainstream at our new times and days. Thursday nights, 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern. Friday during the day, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern. Sunday evening, 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. Monday mornings, 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. And Wednesdays at 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. And again, 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. All times are Eastern. It's ACB Radio Holiday Auction Time. And the auction preview page will go live on acb.org around November 25 or very soon thereafter. We have an amazing lineup of items in this year's auction, and it will be happening on December 8 from 6 p.m. until midnight or until all items are sold. Listen to the November 28 sound prints next week for a complete list of auction items and instructions on how you can listen and bid. The 2019 KCB Conference and Convention was a huge success. Interesting speakers, good food, lots of new people, fun activities. If you weren't there, you missed a good time. The Kentucky Council of the Blind elects directors to its board in odd-numbered years. The five directors who will serve for the next two years are Joey Couch, Louisville, Cheryl Lott, Owensboro, Bill Wright, Louisville, Jonathan McCarty, Louisville, each elected for a second term, and Shirley Kane of Bellevue for her first term. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision met during the convention and elected officers. They are Shirley Kane of Bellevue, President, second term, Amanda Selm, Louisville, Vice President, second term, Debbie Persons, Louisville, Secretary, and David Smith, Louisville, Treasurer. KCB Next Generation chose two new directors for its board. They are Samantha Hubbard and Darren Harbour, both of Louisville. The Tri-State Library users held its annual meeting at the KCB convention. The chapter elected a new president, Melanie Pesco of Louisville. Natalie Couch will serve a second term as vice president, and Adam Rushevel is the secretary-treasurer. Bill Wright, who was ineligible to run again for the office of president, was chosen as a director to the board. Barbara Pinagore, director of the Frankfurt Talking Book Library, was the speaker at the meeting, and we bring you her remarks on page two. One of the very interesting speakers at our general session on Saturday afternoon was Ron Brooks of Phoenix, Arizona. Ron is vice president of Transit Marketing Development, American Logistics, and he spoke about how transit programs could change in the future. This is a very interesting and timely presentation, as it truly could touch people no matter where they live in the country. Hear his talk on page 3. And on page 4 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. Barbara? I'm sorry we've taken so much much time. And, uh, of course, I would like to thank... uh, We we did uh, participate in the... uh, 50... 
Five minutes warning? Okay, well. So I'm going to talk really fast. The first thing I want to do is... First thing I want to do is thank the Kentucky Council for the Blind for sponsoring our 50th anniversary celebration. Those of you who were there, um, I, I hope you enjoyed it. We sure did. It was nice meeting, meeting a lot of you and having you there. Um, I also want to thank you all for sponsoring our newsletter. Um, we're able to send it out to a printer to have it printed instead of me standing in front of a printer for hours and days, you know, printing and folding newsletters. So thank you very much. Um, in case you did not know, the National Library Service for the Blind has officially changed its name. It is now the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled, which um, kind of broadens their scope a little and gets rid of that outdated language. One of the things that's going on now is in Texas and Pennsylvania, they're doing a two-year pilot program to expand the um, eligibility. So it used to be if you had a reading disability like dyslexia or so forth, a medical doctor had to sign the application to certify you. So they've added a lot more people who can actually certify people with reading disabilities. They want to see how that goes because they didn't want to open it up all at once and have a gazillion people suddenly inflex the service and, and kind of overwhelm the, the staff and, and use up all the resources. So. They're using that to get an idea how many more people will get by broadening those eligibility requirements. Um, the du duplication on demand, which is where we send you one cartridge with multiple books on it, that has been very successful. We were one of the first six libraries nationwide to do that. We've been doing it for two years, and now all the other libraries who are having problems mismatch containers and cartridges, we just laugh. Ha <laughs> ha, that's not a problem anymore. And NLS is producing a lot more books now. They used to record 2,000 books a year. Now with the commercial um, books that they're adapting, they're, re they're releasing like 4,000 books a year. But they can't afford to put all those on physical cartridges and send them to all the libraries. So those libraries who are not using duplication on demand like us have a problem getting those books to their patrons. But for us, again, we laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Because... We don't have, we literally don't have a collection anymore. We've disposed of all those blue containers with the single titles, permanent titles on them, and we just have a big batch of blank cartridges. And we download the books as we need them, so we don't have to have a physical copy. Every book is available all the time. So that's an advantage to you all. It's also an advantage to our staff because it's a lot easier to do circulation every day. Um, let's see, our recording studio produced 39 new books in the last year, as well as 67 old cassette books converted to digital format. Um, my guy Michael, who does all the, takes those old reel-to-reel -reel tapes and bakes them in a toaster oven to get the humidity off of them, he has digitized, um, in six years, he's digitized 441 titles but he's got a thousand and a hundred left to go. <laughs> so we're slowly trying to get all those old books digitized. <clears throat> and once he's digitized them, he fixes the sound, but then someone's got to go in and format it for the talking book format and add the markup. And Brian Bertusi, who's our studio director who was here last year, he started training some of our volunteers to do that so they're able to get a lot more of those done and catch up to Michael. 
the book We Can Hear You Just Fine, which is uh, was written by students at the Kentucky School for the Blind. We finally have that available. It took a long time because most of our narrators are senior citizens, and we did not want senior citizens reading a book written by teenagers. <laughs> so we, we tried to find some um, homeschooled students who could come in during the day to narrate it. And we started out with a couple of young men, and they were able, were able to come in and do those. But most of the stories were written by young women. And we had one young woman come in, and she started reading it, and she didn't like it. And so she quit. So then we got another young woman. She read a little, but then she had to go to college. And we looked, tried to find other people. Finally, Devin Stivers, who was our administrative assistant, who's younger than the rest of us. She's still in her 20s. <laughs> she read the rest of them. So that book is finally available. Um, speaking of that, we, Devin no longer works in talking books. She was the one who answered the phone most of the time if you called in and then transferred you to your library. She um, is now working in, she's still in our agency, but she is a digital archivist now. So we're proud for her, and we've just hired someone to replace her. His name is Jeff, and he's been working with us as a temp for since this summer. We're luckily, lucky to hire him and have him full-time, but he's still training his replacement for his former duties, so he hasn't really started his talking book duties yet. I do want to encourage you, if you happen to have an old digital player lying around your house, say you used to get things through the mail, but now you're downloading them, or maybe you got a replacement for your player and didn't get around to returning the old one, NLS is really pushing to have those unused players put back into circulation because they're focusing their resources on developing the next generation player rather than continue manufacturing the existing player. So if you've got one lying around, just send it back to us. If you use BARD, you should know that BARD accounts will be suspended after six months of inactivity. So if it's been a while since you downloaded something, just go in and download something. You don't have to read it right away. If, if your account does get closed for inactivity, all you have to do is call us and we'll open it back up again. That's a, like a federal security issue, so that's not really something they wanted to do. The Library for the Blind, but that, since it's a federal government agency, they have to follow those rules. Our friend Kim Charlson was awarded the Francis Joseph Campbell Award by the American Library Association. It's presented each year to a person or institution that has made an outstanding contribution to the advancement of library service for the blind and physically disabled. And Kim and her husband were here last year, and I get to see her every year at our conferences. The e-readers, e-readers are a braille, um, a refreshable braille display device that NLS is going to start distributing to braille readers. Um, it's still in planning, but in the summer of 2020, so next summer, they're going to launch a pilot to test braille e-readers. They'll have two different devices. One is going to be from HumanWare, and one is going to be from ZoomMax. So they're going to test the functionality, get reviews from the people who have used them, find out what works best, what doesn't work, um, how the distribution goes, and then that'll be their starting point to go further in that project. <laughs> For the next generation digital talking book player, they're looking at using a voice user interface. So if you're familiar with it, well you all are probably very familiar with voice user <laughs> interfaces, but like a an Alexa or similar things. So you could just tell your machine what you wanted it to read and it would do that. 
Um, they're also looking at using streaming, which if you use Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that, you don't have to download a book and wait for it to download and then store it on your device. You just listen to it on the fly. So, you know, you could move from one device to another. They're also looking at wireless download. Um, last year we, we tested some devices that worked on cell phone technology. So if someone who doesn't have the internet would still be able to download books. So that's one of the other options. Um, I think I've gone through things pretty quickly. I just also wanted to mention some of my favorite books that we've recorded recently. Um, the newsletter we just sent out recently had a list of the locally recorded books, so I encourage you all to try some of those out. But I would recommend Southernmost by Silas House. I would also recommend The Peculiar Miracles of Antoinette Martin by Stephanie Knightbert. The Rules of 48 by Jack Cady. And most of them are pretty good, so <laughs> I encourage you to look through that list. If you didn't get the newsletter or you, know, you just want some help choosing something, you're welcome to call. And you know, I should have started out, is there anyone here who does not already use talking books? No? Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Any questions? Okay, I saw Adam. Okay, over here with us. Uh, on the digital player, will it have any Bluetooth uh, earphone capability? Or, and when would those be? Uh, it's certain? still in the early development stage, so they don't have an actual device in mind yet. They're just t kind of making a wish list of what they wanted to have, but I think they, Bluetooth could is. They add that on? I think that's something they certainly are considering. When will those be distributed? We're looking at years. You know, it's still an idea in their mind at this point. Uh, Deb? Uh, how do you get to be a person test the, uh, the Braille display? Deb's, well, she's, well, I think she's volunteering to be one of the testers. Um, they, I don't even know yet what states they're going to do. They haven't determined that. But if they're um, going to ask for volunteers, we will certainly put that out on social media and on our website. So we'll certainly be looking for volunteers. Um, Chuck? Yes, uh, just a question. It may be premature, but it's always being asked these questions. You said that they're developing play, uh, players, looking at developing players, working on cell phone technology for people who don't have internet. There's going to be a mobile uh, data charge there? No, if they, um, they're kind of testing out the possibility of using a, a cell phone but it would be a locked down kind of phone. So it would not have all the capabilities of a typical smartphone. It would basically just be a playback device. But we would be able to like push books to that device from our library. Like, okay, through, say through, uh, I guess, like an email or something? No, through cell phone towers. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. what, I was That's what I was wanting to hear. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the so device we tested... It was like a, it was basically made on a 3D printer in someone's garage, but we had three folks here in Kentucky using those. And what we did is we established a BARD account for them, then we would put books in their BARD wish list. And when they were ready um, for more books, we'd push them to that player, and then they would always have at least three books on that player that they could choose from that they wanted to read. And when they were done with them, they'd say, load me up again. So that's the basic premise, but they may change it between now and then, depending on what they find. You know, technology is changing so fast. Okay, uh, Adam, you had a question? Yeah. Uh, two or three things. Number one, I've been using the multiple uh, 
cartridge books, and that's really worked well because you can, uh, if you want to read books by one author, uh, you know, you can get all 20 or 25 of them. Exactly. If you want to read a whole series, just call us and we'll give you one cartridge with the whole series on it. Okay. Secondly, um, I, I just thought that after our uh, helping to get the newsletters printed this year, uh, I went to the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and they have authorized us to uh, have the newsletters printed next year, right? Barbara? And I really appreciate that too. Again, that's another year me not having to stand there and, and print and fold newsletters. <laughs> they, they asked me um, if, if I would come back and ask for more money after that and I, I said, well, it might be likely. So, uh, and then thirdly, uh, here at the conference, we're kind of emphasizing low vision um, you know, activities and, and resources. And can you tell us a little bit about your work with the large brand? Oh, yes, uh, Bill had mentioned that, and I, I kind of skipped over that. Yes, in addition to managing the Talking Book Library, I also manage what we call the State Library Collection. So a lot of the public libraries around the state can't afford to buy large print books or audio books. So we have, can send them a whole collection of large print books or audio books. They'll keep them for three months and then send them back to us. We'll send them another collection. So it's a rotating collection. Um, so if you all prefer to use large print or you just want to use your resources from your local public library, not every library does it, but you, yeah, I encourage you to go to your public library and if you're looking for large print, Tell them that because they're not going to participate if they don't know people want it. But yeah, that's been very um, that's very helpful for those little public libraries out there around the state. Like here in Louisville, the Louisville Free Public Library, they can afford to buy those kinds of things. But like Pendleton County or you know Whitley County, some of those little more rural Lake counties. Lakeville County participates, and they are very great call. Yeah. And that's what some of my staff do. They, the librarians will pick out the books. Now, in our survey, if you got our survey in the spring, I asked if people were interested in large print. The vast majority were not, but I'm trying to figure out if there's some way we could circulate those large print books to our talking book members. But we just can't figure out a way logistically because they're not in our system. We use a, a system called WebReads. They use a different system. And most of those books are checked out most of the time. So if someone wanted to request a particular title, it may be months before it's available. So I, I, we just can't figure out a logistical way to do that other than to encourage you to go to your local public library if you're interested in large print. On the bar app? Yes. Uh, do you get, when you download that, does it give a, a print out on a screen where you could read it if you're just No, um, BARD is audio only uh, or Braille. Now, do you have any? We do not. Uh, since most of our users um, can't use print, well, the, our service just doesn't provide it. Now, what we can provide, um, a lot of people are interested. They, they're sports fans, and they want to follow their teams and know the schedules for their teams. We will provide you on request with a schedule of your favorite sports team, and we can do that in large print because we're basically just typing that up, and we can Braille it for folks who want it in Braille. So if you want a NASCAR schedule or a UK schedule or a UofL schedule, let us know. We'll be glad to provide those. Or even sometimes, um, say um, you frequent a particular 
restaurant and they don't have a braille menu available, um, if you ask us, we can go online and, and you know just type up their menu and emboss it in braille and send it to you. Or um, I'm trying to think, um, we had someone request instructions for a game. So, or someone wants to request instructions for their model of uh, um, crock pot. So if there's something, some sort of braille document you need that we would have access to that's not super long, like we wouldn't want to emboss the whole dictionary or something like that, but something short and easy that won't take us too long to type up, we'd be glad to provide you with some braille on request or large print. Any other questions? No, it takes so long to record things. Plus, our studio is kind of booked up. It actually takes two people to record something. Um, one is the narrator that you all hear. The other person sits outside the booth, and they are operating the recording equipment and following along in the text. And once they do that, it goes to our sound guy who adjusts the sound. Then it goes back to our studio manager who formats it in the official talking book format, adds any markup before it becomes available. So it's not just a matter of someone jumping in the booth and reading. And speaking of that, we do have quite, we have about 30 to 35 volunteers. And right now we've, we're getting a lot of new volunteers and they all want to be narrators, but we don't have enough monitors to go with them. So if you all have friends or family members who can make it to Frankfurt about once a week and who are willing, if they have basic computer skills, we'll be glad to train them to be a monitor so we can get some more narrators going and reading more books. Yes, um, I'm sorry, did you have a question, Jerry Slusher? It's not going to be Alexa. It'll be part of the talking book player, so it's not going to be exactly Alexa. It'll be something similar, but who knows? Maybe someday it'll just be able to be available, so if you already have a device, you can use devices you already own, just like with the smartphones and the tablets. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. All right, well, it is 2.15. Okay, I need the mic back. Okay, I would, um, this is Bill, I would like to thank everybody for coming today, I would like to thank um, Barbara for coming and speaking and giving us an update, and um, I also would like to thank her for, uh, I went up and spoke in April for the 50, uh, 50 year anniversary and I was a nervous wreck. Uh, and, 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 and I also want to thank her and to thank Talking Book Library for the really nice letter that um, they sent me. And I wanted to uh, make sure I got on record uh, thanking her and thanking her staff uh, for, for um, inviting me and for also sending me a real nice letter. Is there anything else before we adjourn?
give y'all one more chance. Anything else before we join? What uh, one other thing, Bill, please, for everybody, because that was a lot for us to take in. Could you give us a list of the next three sessions? I'll do that because it's right outside the door here. I'm trying to remember all of it one time. Adam, are you still selling those flashcards? In here, the next session is Technology Solutions from APH. Here's the, uh, at 2.15 is the ABLE Accounts, Medicaid Waivers, and Work Incentives. Um, well, it doesn't really say what room it's in yet, but it's not in here. And then the second one is the technology solutions at, at APH. That's down in Harry Potter down the hall on the left. And Barbara? Yes. Uh, uh, Carla, yes. Do, do you have uh, something for Barbara? Or do you... uh, yes, I do. She gave me a plate of macaroni and cheese. That was pretty good. <laughs> yes. Barbara, we have a... We have a set of ACB coasters for you. Oh, and thank you. So, uh, they are sitting downstairs, but uh, please get them from me before you go. Okay. Yes, that's the one. Thank you so much. Barbara, thank you. And thank you for coming. Sorry, we're short on time. Page three. May I have your attention, please? We are going to be, you've heard, heard of phone a friend on um, a millionaire, yeah. Well, we're going to phone a friend here in a minute. Driving from paratransit to mobility, where services could be going and how to get there. And we're going to be calling Ron Brooks um, from Phoenix, Arizona. He just... Took, took over a new position, uh, Vice President of American Logistics um, from Phoenix, Arizona, and he's they're in the process of giving him, getting him on the phone. Without uh, further ado, Ron Brooks from Phoenix, Arizona. I have the opportunity to talk to you all about something that is legally required, something that everybody needs, and that nobody likes and i'm doing it right after you went to a mute to a musical <laughs> so that seems like a really tall order talk about a bad movie right so i'm going to start uh, just to introducing myself a little bit uh, i am ron brooks i um, am a member of the arizona council of blind um, formerly the chair of the board of publications uh, i have, have worked with the transportation uh, committee for a number of years and I'm going to be helping with some of the advocacy services work uh, going forward. So uh, in addition to working in transportation, I am a member um, as well, uh, have, have been a member of uh, a number of affiliates as we've moved around the country and, and uh, yeah, worked with the council and all the places that we've lived. So I started my interest in transportation, I'm not sure if it began uh, on the side of the road after I was taking an orientation and mobility lesson and my bus driver dropped me off at the wrong place and my orientation and mobility instructor wanted to see how I would handle it. Um, or it might have begun a little later when I was in college complaining about transportation and I had the chance to serve on an advisory group uh, for the transit agency and I thought, wow, this is my chance to tell them what I really think. Um, but it certainly began shortly thereafter when I was hired by uh, the transit system in the Bay Area where I was attending graduate school 
uh, to um, help design accessibility into uh, the San Francisco Bay Area Rapid Transit System. That was all the way back in 1993. I've been involved in public transportation in one way or another ever since. I've spent time in both the public sector, uh, in agencies in Florida, California, uh, and in Arizona. Uh, and then I've also been on the private sector side, which is what I do today. Uh, recently, I left uh, a, a position with the public transit agency in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, managing paratransit and other services for folks with disabilities and seniors. And I took a position with a company called American Logistics. Um, I have a really awesome title, uh, Vice President of Transit Market Development. And what that title is, says is exactly my job. It's to build a business uh, in, public, uh, in the public transit space providing uh, the services that our company provides, which are basically uh, designed to be alternatives to the, to the traditional shared ride model of paratransit that we all know and love. So before I go there, uh, let me just give you an overview of what I want to talk about. And, um, and I've promised to leave some time for, uh, for, um, you know, for some conversation. Um, so first, I'm going to give you just a little bit. So we're, we're going to stick right along with your theme. We are going to start with a flashback of how did paratransit get the way it is today. Um, we, that's in the category of horror and science fiction. Um, what opportunities are there to make it better? This is fantasy and futuristic. Um, and then how did we get there? And we'll just call that an infomercial. Um, so let me start with a little bit of history. Uh, paratransit began uh, way back in the 1970s. There actually were some precursors to that, but really paratransit came into existence in the 1970s. Uh, it was the response to, uh, to a law called the Rehabilitation Act. We all know and love that thing too. Uh, paratransit came out of that same law. It basically required agencies that got federal funding, which transit agencies typically do, uh, to make their programs accessible to, uh, at that time, the elderly and the handicapped, now folks with disabilities and seniors. Um, and so, so those services were very small, they were limited, uh, they typically um, were very difficult to use. They, they grew throughout the 70s and the 80s, and then in the 1990, when the, the ADA became law, paratransit was uh, put in place for people who could not use buses and trains and the different public transit. And that's when paratransit, as we know of it, really came into existence. Um, I want to say up front, paratransit is not what the community of people with disabilities wanted at the time. Uh, some would argue that it's not what we want now. Uh, but at the time, the community actually did not want paratransit. The community wanted to use buses and trains and light rail and all the things that, that were out there in the market for everybody else. The problem was, is, is at that time, the industry had not de developed a lot of the technology uh, to make buses and light rail and all those systems accessible for folks with disabilities. Uh, that is particularly true for people in wheelchairs, but it was also true for, for us as well. Um, if you remember back to the early 1990s, you would have probably had to call and wait on hold to find out when the bus was going to run. You would probably then show up and hope to God that it actually came. 
Um, and if it didn't, you'd be stuck because you didn't have a cell phone in those days. You'd have to find a pay phone. So transit was pretty hard to use uh, for people with disabilities. And so paratransit was created or basically expanded in most places to meet the requirements of the ADA, which was basically anywhere that a bus or a light rail train uh, that's a public transit system operates, paratransit has to operate as well. Now, of course, paratransit at that time and now uh, was designed to be shared ride advanced reservation service. And the reason for that is because at that time, that was really state-of-the-art technology. The ability of uh, computerized systems for doing dispatch and scheduling were just coming into existence in the 80s and being refined in the 90s. And uh, so this was really the best technology that the industry had. The idea that you could call and that they could put your trip into a computer, basically into a database, and there would be a mapping system um, that could then take all those trips and cook them into schedules um, and run that service. That was state of the art. That was as good as it got, and that is exactly what the law was written to do. Um, now, it's 30 years later, and paratransit actually has not changed much. Um, if you think about it now, um, you probably, in most cases, have to call ahead. Uh, you have to ask for your trip at, at least a day in advance. You have to share that ride if there's somebody to, to have it shared with. Uh, you may have to uh, be picked up a little early or a little late so they can accommodate other people. You may not go straight to where you want to go. Um, you may get to see a little bit extra Louisville or Lexington or wherever you're from along the way. That's still how paratransit works 30 years after uh, it came into law. 30 years ago, that was great technology. Uh, today, not so much. So that's kind of how we got to where we got with paratransit. So that's kind of the, uh, that's the flashback. So now we'll just shift gears and we will now move into talk about paratransit and the opportunities. Um, and I want to start with um, what I have in my notes referred to as the ADA box. Because sometimes the challenge that we have is because we've invented a system um, that looks a certain way and the biggest, hardest challenge is the box that the system is in. Um, what's that saying? You know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, that is really the challenge that we have with the ADA. The ADA requires transit agencies to run service in a certain way. It's required to be at least next day service. It's required to be um, origin to destination, meaning door to door. Um, it's required to be um, shared ride. Now, agencies are allowed to do more than that. However, if they do more and if they don't have money, they can't claim, they, they basically can't complain about it. So most agencies, their focus is let's do what the law requires us to do and, and then if we have extra money, we can do more. But of course, they never have extra money because they don't really have very much funding. Um, so the, the ADA is the first challenge. The box that the ADA puts us in uh, with service is the challenge that, that most agencies have to start with. However, there's this concept within the industry called the new mobility paradigm. And this is not a disability concept. Uh, the new mobility paradigm is really a 
a concept that applies to everybody. And what it basically means is that for, for all of the time that transit has been in place, we have basically been focused on getting vehicles from point A to point B, and if we can put some people in them, that's great. What the new mobility paradigm is says is it says instead of focusing on moving vehicles, you know, getting buses on routes and trains on rails, I mean, those are obviously, those are what we do, but the point is to get people where people need to go. So the focus now is on taking people, wherever they happen to be, whoever they happen to be, and whatever they happen to need, and getting them from point A to point B. And, and whether we do it with a bus or a train or a combination or paratransit or Uber um, or a bike share, doesn't matter. The point is our job is to move people and to move people where they want to go instead of building these big you know, infrastructure and hoping people just happen to be going our way. And this really is an opportunity uh, for people for paratransit. Um, it, it, it means that paratransit has to think differently, and I'll come to that, but basically the new mobility paradigm is a concept that benefits everybody uh, if we can apply it to everything. So if we can apply paratransit inside this new mobility paradigm, then it can benefit us as well. So what the new mobility paradigm includes, uh, it, it includes a number of transportation concepts. Of course, it includes bus and light rail, but it also includes a concept called first and last mile, which is basically how do we get people to the transit network? Maybe it's because they live too far from a bus route, or maybe it's because um, the you know the bus in, in in the community where they live, the bus service is kind of uh, spread out and it's not designed to go into the neighborhoods. Um, you know, and and typically first and last mile looks an awful lot like paratransit. Um, it could be, um, in fact, it could use Uber and Lyft. In fact, I think that the transit agent, you know, TARC, I believe, in Louisville has done uh, some piloting around some of these kinds of services, um, and certainly the industry as a whole is. So as the industry starts to evolve some of these new models, they have application for paratransit. Um, the two biggest changes that have really affected the industry of transportation in the last 20 years and really in the last 10 are the advent of the smartphone and the advent of rideshare services like Uber and Lyft. Those two things by themselves have, have absolutely turned the, the transportation industry inside out. Uh, not only have they decimated the taxi industry, which everybody knows about, but they have forced the public transit industry to redefine itself. And that's kind of where the company that I work for and, and kind of my own philosophy lines up. If, if we are able as a, as a country and as an industry to, to use some of these new technologies like your smartphone um, and like services like Uber and Lyft to transport other people, why can't we use these services and these technologies to transform, I'm sorry, to transport people who need paratransit? Why do people with disabilities have to call ahead and share their ride when nobody else does? So that's, so that's something that um, the company that I work for, we are designing those kinds of systems. Uh, they've, been in, they've been around for a long time. It's basically an evolution of taxi, um, just a whole lot better. 
Um, and now what we're trying to do is to bring those into the transit space uh, and sell those to agencies to replace or augment or add to paratransit. Um, my personal feeling is that over time, these services will become more and more a part of the paratransit mix uh, because, frankly, nobody likes shared ride advanced reservation paratransit, including the agencies. Uh, it's expensive. It's hard to run. Um, it's hard to staff. It's it drives. It, you know, it it represents a big piece of our cost. So these these are services that I think are you know nearing the end of their useful life. Now that may take a while, but you know, their, their, their time is coming. So, um, so just a couple more things kind of around opportunities. Um, this, these times are challenging. Um, there's, um, there's an equity issue. And equity basically says that smartphones and, and um, rideshare services are great, but not everybody has a smartphone. Not everybody has a bank account. And a lot of people use wheelchairs and can't ride in an Uber or a Lyft. So in order for the industry to move from where we are to where we need to go, in my opinion, we have to solve the challenges of equity. Um, we have to figure out how to serve people with, who do not use smartphones. That is a smaller and smaller number every year, but it's still a pretty big number. And if you're in a rural community, it might be a bigger number still. Um, we have to figure out how to use uh, to transport people who do not have bank accounts and who do not have linked credit or debit cards. That is a small number of people, but they are there and they have to be served. And finally, and, and, and I think most significantly from an ADA you know, disability perspective, we've got to figure out how to transport people uh, who are in mobility devices and wheelchairs. Because right now, if, if you go out and call an Uber, in any city in America, you can probably get a, a ride in about five or six or seven or eight or 10 minutes, maybe even less. But if you're in a wheelchair, you may wait hours or, or not get picked up at all. And so we can't depend on these services until those issues are resolved. So what my company is doing, and, and we're kind of on you know the cutting edge along with, there's, there's a couple of others um, that are working in the same space. I think we have a head start in some respects because we, um, we've been around for a long time on the taxi side, developing some of these tools. Um, the, the approach that we're using is management, is, is a management process that's augmented with technology um, to solve equity. So what we do is we acquire um, subcontracts with all sorts of providers, uh, Uber being one, uh, taxi companies, um, because some people who don't have credit cards may not be able to use Uber. Um, uh, so taxi companies, Uber, um, wheelchair accessible vehicle providers. So there are companies that run vans to transport uh, people in wheelchairs. We bring all those companies onto one technology platform. And what we do is we control how the trips get pushed out. So a customer calls us or uses our mobile app or uses our website to book a trip. We push that trip to a provider who can transport that customer. Um, so, and then we have management control over the service. So let's say that, that instead of having next day service, your transit agency said, we want to have the ability for you to pick up a phone or, or go online and request a trip in one to two hours, which is a lot better than doing it on the next day, I think. Um, you call, you, you ask for a trip in an hour, what my company does is we look at the uh, the time it takes to get a vehicle based on the, the provider that you have. 
Uh, Uber, typically it's about five minutes. Taxis, it's about 15. Wheelchair accessible providers, it, it varies by provider. So we'll take that hour, and if you're on an Uber trip, we'll hold that trip for about 45 minutes or 50 minutes, and then we'll send it to Uber. If you want a taxi provider, we'll hold it for about 40 minutes and send it to a taxi. And if you're on a wheelchair accessible provider, we're gonna push it immediately to a provider so we can make sure we have somebody available. And what that does is it, it provides a higher level of service and it provides equity so that everybody gets the same service experience. Um, yeah, our company does that. I think the industry as a whole is gonna go that way. Other companies certainly will provide that as well. Um, you know, someone will get there first, and, but, but everybody's gonna go there because this is the right way to provide service. Once we have these services built, uh, then we will start to talk about integrating these services with public transit. So for example, um, if you are in a major metropolitan area that has a good transit system, and particularly a rail system, and you don't want to uh, take a long trip, um, and you know certainly um, in some systems, the fares are fairly high, and for long trips, they're higher, you may want to take the train, and the train may actually uh, be timed in such a way that you can use a service like what I just described uh, to transport you to and from, so you can use the train uh, and have complete flexibility, and these services will integrate um, so that everybody can use them, not just people with disabilities. Um, so the question then uh, comes is, where does automation, this is kind of the last step, is where does automation come in? Um, you know, vehicle providers are automating. Uh, they are building autonomous technology. It's not in the marketplace yet. Um, I just got my first ad for Lyft drone. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, taking a, a, a drone lift flight uh, in a you know, coming to a city near me. Uh, but these services are coming. Uh, you will be flying and riding uh, in automated vehicles, I think, inside of five to 10 years. Um, those services are gonna completely open up uh, transportation because the, the number one cost in transit is, is the labor cost. It's about 60% of the cost of service. Uh, once you have autonomous technology, that cost goes away. Um, not entirely because there are other jobs that need to be done. So people will have to shift and learn and be trained to do different jobs. But the, vehicle, but the ability to put an autonomous vehicle almost anywhere once that technology develops uh, is going to really open up transportation. I believe it's going to equalize transportation. So I want to close with how do we get there, and then I'll be happy to take questions as time permits. Um, and I have no fancy, um, I have no fancy science, okay? Um, first off, forget the old zero-sum game. We have been told, and you have been told, probably by your transit agency, that the reason that we can't do more is because if we do more for you, we have to do less for somebody else. Um, autonomous technology and some of these new service models are, are designed, they're cheaper, they solve the zero-sum problem. Um, I can tell you that the service that the company I work for provides typically costs about half to, about half, maybe a little more, a little less than half of what traditional paratransit costs. So it's not really accurate anymore to say that if we provide this better service, there will be less of it. We can actually provide better service and provide more of it. Um, so forget the zero sum. Second, focus on the goals. You know, for, for too long, and the ADA is a big problem here, the ADA focuses on exactly how transit agencies are supposed to provide transportation. What we need to start focusing is on is the goals. 
why do we want to travel? Where are the places that we're trying to go? You know, we're trying to get to work. We're trying to get to school. We're trying to get to jobs. We're trying to get to the store, to our friend's house. Um, the point is not how we get there. It's that we get there. And, and we need to really focus with our agencies uh, and our leaders and, and mayors and councils on we, we don't care what the system looks like. We want it to get us there to where we want and need to go. And that's the goal. That's what matters. And then last thing I'm going to say is embrace change. Um, things are going to look different. They look a lot different now than they did five years ago. They're going to look a lot different, more different in five years than they do today. Um, I think, you know, one of the biggest things I hear from the community is that they're afraid of, of talking about the ADA because they're afraid that that when we open up the ADA that, that people are going to take, take stuff that, away that we already have. Um, my personal feeling is that we need to look at the ADA because the ADA challenges us um, by telling us exactly how to do stuff. We would be better off if we could focus on how you know, using newer technologies, newer business rules, newer practices, and the ADA makes that hard. So we need to be comfortable with change uh, and comfortable with uh, taking a little bit of risk to get to a better place. So I just want to close and um, take whatever time is left. Before I do that, however, I forgot. I was actually going to um, just uh, thank all of, of, of Carla and Adam and all and Debbie and all you guys for asking me to participate. Um, I would be happy to uh, try and answer any questions I can. I haven't talked a lot about rural. Um, I'd be happy to just you know, address that if there's a question about it. Um, but um, there are things happening in the rural space as well. They're a little bit less defined, um, but you know that is a priority right now for the federal government. They know they have to figure out rural transportation because it's gotten much worse over the last 10 years um, with the uh, falling apart of Greyhound and, and the uh, shrinking of Amtrak. So uh, there is a focus on rural transportation as well. So I'll stop right there and answer any questions or have a conversation. Well, unfortunately, Ron, we are not going to, I know people aren't going to be happy with this, but we are not going to have time for questions because we've got some other things on, on our agenda. Could I suggest that perhaps we could schedule a special conference call with Ron um, and anyone who's interested could call into that. KCB could sponsor that call and uh, Ron, if that would work. For you, it, it might be something where we could just have a conversation about the questions that people have. Would that work? Yeah, that's fine. Sure. Okay. And what I'd be happy to do is um, I will send some uh, contact information uh, to, to you all, and you can uh, put that out um, on your, you know, to your list or whatever, however you communicate. I'm happy to talk to folks uh, if you have individual questions as well. Yes, we will. Thank you very much. Thank you. Page 4, the Sound Prince Calendar. On November 22, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have roundabout from 3.30 until 9.30 p.m. Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5. Tip Sheet, from 5 to 6. Dinner, $6 per person, from 6 to 7. And Music, after dinner, from 7 until 9.30. All at the United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. November 23 
is the Thanksgiving Open House at the American Printing House for the Blind from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Looking for something uniquely Louisville to show friends and relatives visiting for Thanksgiving? Bring them to APH's one-of-a-kind museum. Visitors can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, learn about guide dogs, play games, and read books designed for children who are blind, and enjoy many other activities in our award-winning museum. The museum also has on display the first book written by Louis Braille in which he describes his new method of writing with dots. Holiday goodies and spiced cider will be served. Registration is not required for all ages. For more information, call the APH Museum at 502-899-2213. On November 23, ACB Next Generation will host its next Saturday Night Live Hangout. At 8 p.m. Eastern by phone, ACB members and individuals under the age of 40 are invited to join this nationwide Saturday night chat focusing on a designated topic. The phone number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. November 24. KSB alumni will hold its next board meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call at 605-475-6006. The code is 294444. On November 25, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana will have a membership call. This is open to anyone who's interested in guide dogs or would like more information on guide dogs. It's at 7 p.m. Eastern Time by phone, call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On November 25, Savvy will hold a Budget Committee meeting at 8 p.m. Central Time on the Zoom conference call at 669-900-6833. The code is 357-259-5193. November 26, ACB Next Generation will have its Nationwide Organizational Development Committee conference call, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The phone number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 357-259-5193. On November 27, the Bluegrass Council will hold its Peer Support Group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For more information, call 859-259-1834. And on November 29, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its Thanksgiving roundabout from 3.30 until 9 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information and to sign up, Call us at 502-895-4598. Some important dates to remember in December are December 7, the Christmas with the Council Christmas Party in Louisville from 4.30 until 9 p.m. Sponsored by the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, Tri-State Library Users, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana, KCB Next Generation, and the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On December 8th will be the 8th Annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction 
from 6 p.m. until all items are sold. You'll be able to listen via the Zoom telephone line. More details will be posted soon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.